Hi, I'm Andrew, and this is the Daily Keenon podcast about today's global crisis. The coronavirus pandemic is dramatically disrupting not only our own daily lives, but also society itself. This show features conversations with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers about the deeper economic, political, and technological consequences of the pandemic. It's the daily podcast trying to make long-term sense out of the chaos of today's global crisis. It is about 9 a.m. the morning of September 28th, 9 a.m. in California. Um, it's uh, Yom Kippur, so I'm going to get punished for doing this, but it's well worth being punished given the guest I have on today and the importance of the subject. Of course, there's only one subject on everyone's minds uh, this morning, September 28th. It's the New York Times revelations about Donald Trump and his taxes. Uh, we had Catherine Belton on the show on Friday before the tax stuff came out, uh, talking about the connection between Trump and the Russians. And today we have uh, another of the world's leading experts on dirty money, uh, Tom Burgess, he's an FT writer, uh, an expert on dirty money, the, uh, the author of a brilliant new book, Kleptopia. Uh, Tom, um, what's your initial thoughts on, on the New York Times revelations? Did they surprise you? Hello, Andrew. Um, I, they didn't surprise me, but what's so striking, I'd say, is that one we see Trump laid bare as this kind of ersatz businessman um, contorting contorting money and the stories we tell about money um, to, to give this impression of success uh, and to welch as far as possible on his dues to society. And then crucially, I think, you see it really starkly in the New York Times coverage, the way that he... Um, uh, is monetizing the office of the president. You see this huge surge of income into Mar-a-Lago and um, the Washington Hotel of his. And, you know, if that was happening in Nigeria or, or, or Moscow, we would just call it out as straight-up corruption or kleptocracy. It's, it's, a, it's a leader holding the highest office in the land and making it absolutely straightforward that you can turn up, you can be Goldman Sachs or you can be some dictator somewhere and you can put money in his pocket. Tom, as you know, Catherine Belton's uh, book, uh, Putin's People, makes, I thought at least, a compelling case connecting KGB money or KGB capitalism and Trump. What do the New York Times revelations tell us, if anything, about this nexus between uh, Russian money and Trump? Does it strengthen the argument that somehow uh, Trump is indebted to KGB money? There are peripheral details about, say, a consultancy fee that was paid in Azerbaijan or something like that. But there's there's something huge that's between the lines of the of the New York Times story. So this is something that uh, yeah, Catherine's written about this, and in Kleptopia, I, I really try and follow these threads. So what comes out clearly is this, isn't it? Trump is a failed businessman who is suddenly rescued by two things at the same time. One is um, the advent of reality television. So he can pretend to be a successful tycoon and he can play that part with huge fanfare um, to an enormous weekly audience. And the other thing is that at the end of the 90s, all that money um, that has been diverted from the old Soviet empire to private interests starts to flow out into the West 
seeking havens and seeking safety. And what does it find? Above all, US real estate. And who does it find? Donald Trump. And he has this model, and you can see it from the uh, in the New York Times story about the, the tax returns, whereby he generates a brand as the successful tycoon of The Apprentice, and he starts to license that brand out. So one of the clevernesses of this is that the, the brand is for sale, but Trump himself is being paid by the developer, right? He's le- he's re- renting out his image and his name to buildings built with built by other people, and they are bringing in the money. So there's this kind of circuit breaker in the money trail. It comes in to the developers of the Trump Soho or the Trump Toronto, people with deep roots in the post-Soviet kleptocracies. It builds these buildings, and Donald Trump can say, um, in 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 what one um, one person from his circles described to me as willful obliviousness. He can say, yeah, yeah, I'm taking millions. You know what? I'm still taking millions while I'm in office. Um, but uh, but I wasn't responsible for bringing in the money. Then he's in office. He, he, he clearly demonstrably has a broad sense, maybe we think a much more specific sense from personal meetings with these investors of where the money's coming from. He gets into office and who are his circle of allies? They are the world's great kleptographs from Putin on down. So in your mind, this only confirms many of the arguments that you've made in Kleptopia, Catherine's made in Putin's people, and and several other uh, brave pining journalists are trying to join the dots on the world's dirty money and bringing it back in some ways to Trump, although Trump isn't the center of the circle. He's just one node, right? Right. I think think it was your comment that he was, it's like that this kind of, call it KGB money, friendly firms money, essentially it's the kind of um, the money, the kleptocratic money that flows out of the former Soviet Union, I think you you compared it to uh, VC investment, you know, just like trying to find a thousand different possibilities and sprinkle some money around and some of them will come good. I don't think anyone was ever suggesting that uh, people were funneling money into Donald Trump in the early years of this century, thinking that man is a nailed on future US president. I mean, quite the opposite. Um, but... He came good, you know. He, the the, the, um, the there was a lot of money pushed through him. Um, there there certainly seemed to have been some direct personal connections between people who could operate close to Russian intelligence. I think you people like Felix Sater, the, the Brooklyn fraudster, um, and who were Donald Trump's business partners. So there were those direct connections. But then there's also the broader sympathy. This is something I try to bring out as well in Kleptopia, as well as the real crunchy personal connections that have come out. There's also this broader sympathy between people who are engaged in what I would call the privatization of power itself. And you can see that in Trump's relationships with Putin. You can see it in his relationship with someone like Duterte in the Philippines, who sends as a trade ambassador to the US, the man who built the the Trump Manila. You can see it um, in Trump's relationship with Kim in Pyongyang, you know, the guy who presides over Office 39, has his own um, uh, dirty money engine within his own regime. All of these affinities are between people who see their task as rather like a sort of uh, kleptocratic tin pot dictator of the Cold War is to capture public office and divert the proceeds to yourself. And if anyone in Congo or Kazakhstan was doing what Trump is doing, we would simply call that kleptocracy. Well, I think more and more people in the United States are calling it kleptocracy too. A couple of brief final questions. Uh, 
Tom, though, we have, uh, by the way, for people watching, a fuller conversation about your book, which is already up on LitHub on Keenon. But I wanted to catch you this morning to get your your reaction on Now.TV. Um, you're a journalist. Where did the New York Times get these records? Uh, my my thinking is that why did it take so long? Is is it someone within the Trump organization? Is it someone within, so to speak, the deep state? Uh, where, I mean, I have no idea sense of of where these records came from. I have no idea who the New York Times' source is, and if I did, I wouldn't say. Obviously, but, I, I give it. I, I'm not asking you to, to give names. But I'm just curious as you're to, to your suspicion and why it took but, so long. Yeah, but what, what's interesting is they do describe the sort. They do describe the documents as being legally obtained. Um, so the source got obtained them legally, which means that what they're saying is, you know, this isn't a hack. This isn't a sort of Panama Papers situation. Um, legitimate, though, I guess that that can be in some circumstances if, the, if there's an overriding public interest. Um, but uh, this seems to be someone who has been given these records in the course of their professional life. Uh, why it's taken so long is totally intriguing, isn't it? There have been two instances of, um, of, of little scraps of his tax records turning up. One was posted to the New York Times a couple of years ago. Then there was another independent journalist got hold of another bit of it i i mean we can speculate can't we but it, it has the, it has the feeling of someone who 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 is grappling with their conscience as many as many sources are and thinking how will i feel if um if if the future goes a certain way and i've i've never done the thing i can to reveal the the trickery ultimately that the president has employed finally tom there's a lot of chatter on twitter about this um does this raise the stakes for the election in terms of, of, of Trump being in the eye of a legal storm if he loses when it comes to the investigation of, 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 of his uh, lack of tax payment? Uh, do you think that this is proof that he's willing to, so to speak, go to the wall over the election because he knows that if he loses the election, he's pretty much guaranteed to either go to jail or spend the rest of his life in court? I think that is the most pressing question anywhere at the moment. I mean, uh, I've been making that argument since well before this, the New York Times tax leak, because, you know, I just, this looks so familiar to me from covering election after election in ultra corrupt African political systems where maintaining the immunity from prosecution that comes with high office, that's the purpose of, of electoral politics above all, even above um continuing to loot even above maintaining the actual office itself once you get into a kleptocratic system where the rule of law is a weapon then you absolutely have to maintain your immunity that is the first political task because you use the rule of law as a weapon against your enemies and you can bank on them using them against it against you now my feeling would be that um Trump doesn't necessarily have to think, oh, my God, if they if they dig onto the next page of this tax return or if they look into that particular deal or whatever it may be, they will find this smoking gun. I think it's a slightly my guess would be his 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 sense would be or someone in his possession position would have the sense of um, I've been dabbling in dirty money for a long time. Um, it's reasonable to assume that someone could make a case out of any number of these possibilities and lest we forget, Mueller 
seeded lots of state-level investigations, maybe Stormy Daniels alone could 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 tie Trump up in, in, in court for, for many years. Maybe there are other cases that Mueller seeded that we don't know. Maybe there are cases that come out of um, stories that I've worked on, that Catherine Belton has worked on, that the New York Times has worked on. Um, and maybe there are stories out of what they're hiding in plain sight about um, decisions he took to favour people who bought a suite, he took a suite for a month in the Washington Hotel. There are so many possibilities that, yes, I think we are making a big mistake if we don't look at Trump's election strategy as self-preservation rather than just political ambition or, 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 or such things. It's, it's a, it, the stakes are incredibly high for him. The stakes are indeed incredibly high. I, personally, I would like to see Trump publicly tied up by Stormy Daniels and uh, whipped, spanked, because that's what he deserves. Uh, but fortunately, at least in a metaphorical sense, we have journalists like Tom Burgess to do the spanking and it's for, for children as well. So, Tom, it's a real honor, as always, to have you on Now.TV on, on my Keenon show. We're going to have you back from time to time, especially as the election gets closer because this is a growing story, a story that will only become more and more interesting and relevant, I think, to your work uh, in uh, understanding the world's dirty money. So Tom Belton, uh, author uh, of, uh, uh, sorry, Tom, uh, Bur uh, I'm mixing you up with Catherine, Tom. Uh, hey, Tom we've, 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 worked, we've worked together. It's an honor. Yeah. Tom Burgess, uh, the author of Kleptopia, as always an honor. And we'll see you again very soon. You've been listening to Keen On, hosted by me, Andrew Key. Make sure to join us the rest of this season as we explore how to fix capitalism. Make sure to visit us at lithub.com where you can subscribe to the show in iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. While you're at it, if you enjoyed what you heard, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would also help too. Today's episode was produced and edited by Justin Alvarez and the team at LitHub Radio. See you next week. And thanks so much for listening.